Welcome to Power for the People here on Solar Powered WERU-FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and everywhere in the solar system at WERU.org. I'm your host, Steve Collin. Uh, as listeners know, the goal of Power for the People is to help Mainers understand and take control of their energy future, which means helping you to take control of your energy budget. So today's guests to cover the topic of community solar are Phil Coop and Kay Mann. But before I introduce them further, I do want to mention that on the WERU Facebook page, there's an example uh, of what we've been talking about on this show for the last several years. It's basically it's what I've done at my own home. Uh, and we're not going to talk about the details here, uh, but you can check uh, WERU on Facebook uh, under Power for the People and see a link to that article. And the big picture is I'm saving on the order of $2,500 a year uh, compared to what the house was like uh, you know, six years ago. Uh, and we've talked about most of those things here on uh, on this program. And uh, I may have a program in the future where we do talk more details about uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but my guests today are... Phil Koo, who is the uh, co-founder and manager of Revision Energy, and they uh, they are operating in Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. I think is that correct, Phil? Yes, which is there, um, and uh, and they have a wide variety of solar power and energy options, including uh, community solar, which again is the the of of today's uh, program. Uh, and I'll give you in a moment. I'll give you a chance to to say a little bit more about your background and Revision Energy. Uh, and my other guest is Kay Mann, who is Kay Mann, who is a representative agent of Power Market, uh, one of the um, many providers uh, or um, or the, offering the opportunity to uh, let you sign up for um, community solar, um, not necessarily with one company, uh, as I end it, as I understand it, but I will let her uh, say a little bit more about that as well. So, welcome back to Power for the People. Both of you have been on the program before. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I've known both of you for several years, um, and uh, Kay Mann uh, was actually uh, came into my sustainability course at Thomas College and spoke about uh, alternative uh, energy suppliers when she was with a different company. Uh, and relative to revision, I've, I've had a couple of grants, one from the Maine Technology Institute and one from the Department of Energy um, to do projects that uh, revision was involved with. So, Kay, if you would start off with a little bit more about your background in, in energy issues uh, and tell us a little bit uh, about uh, uh, a brief overview about the company that you represent. Thanks very much, Steve. It's great to be here. I uh, started kind of getting an interest in renewable energy, I think, in the early 2000s. And I began to just kind of learn as much as I could uh, through private channels. I wasn't properly schooled in this field, but I became a member of the board of the Hydrogen Energy Center in around the 2002 to 2008 or 10 range um, and learned a lot that way. And in 2011, I became an outreach coordinator for the Maine Green Power Program. I'm sorry, 2011. I I started a company called GreenEnergyMaine.com. was a, a website about renewable energy for the state of Maine, intended to be a clearinghouse for everything related to clean energy, including job opportunities and educational opportunities and directory of providers and and so forth and uh, blogs. I ran that from 2011 to 20. 18 and then i'm correcting myself in 2013 i became the outreach coordinator for the main green power program which is the voluntary renewable energy option 
that we can still choose on our electricity bills. It's um, offered by the Maine Public Utilities Commission as a way to purchase a little renewable energy with our um, uh, regular electricity every month. And when COVID hit, I had to stop doing that job. We were told we couldn't do outreach anymore. So I looked around for something new to do and Community Solar was just getting a start here in Maine. And I signed on with Power Market to um, help them sign people up for this other voluntary renewable energy option that people have. And uh, so I've been doing that since July of 2020. Uh, Power Market is a, a company that works in about eight different states, I believe, at this point in time. They're partnering with various diff different developers in different parts of Maine and across the country to uh, provide an administrative interface between community solar subscribers and the developers who build and operate the solar fields that they work with. All right, great, thanks so much. And, uh, and Phil, Revision Energy, tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into where you are and, uh, and a brief overview as well about Revision Energy. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be with you again and, uh, and you as well, Kay. Yeah, Steve, so I'm a lifelong Mainer, grew up in Scarborough, uh, worked as a lobsterman through high school and college. And then after a career in journalism, um, my wife and I, we had a two-year-old daughter and, we, and she was pregnant with our twin sons coming along. And I had a, had a chance to make a career pivot and decided that, um, you know, I wanted to try to get into something that could help um, provide for my family, but also maybe make the world a better place. And I uh, had the good fortune to um, decide that the solar energy industry was the place where I wanted to be. And I, I connected with uh, a couple folks who had um, started Energy Works up in Liberty, Maine. And we did a partnership arrangement where we, um, we started a new branch down in Portland that eventually became Revision Energy. Um, and uh, we, we rolled that up into a, a, a Maine-based statewide solar energy company that's been now in existence since 2003. Um, since that time when we, you know, we started out with just a couple of folks, we've now grown to about 330 employees across our five locations. We have uh, one in Montville, Maine, one in South Portland, Maine, two in New Hampshire, and one in Massachusetts. Um, and over the last uh, 19 years, we've installed about 15,000 clean energy systems across Northern New England. Um, as part of our mission to, uh, to, to solve the environmental problems caused by fossil fuels, while also um, striving to alleviate racial and social injustice. Um, and that's, that's why, you know, those, those company objectives are kind of why we are a certified B Corp. You know, uh, B Corps are companies like Patagonia and Bed and Jerry's and King Arthur Flower and Wicked Joe Coffee, Coffee by Design, a group of companies that are um, consciously trying to use their business to create positive change in the world. Um, and it, in addition to being a certified B Corp, Revision Energy is also 100% employee owned because we strongly believe that we should share the success, the financial success of the business with the workers who are creating that success. Um, we specialize in rooftop solar. Uh, we also offer community solar in, in two varieties. You can, um, you can kind of purchase a share in a community solar farm from Revision Energy that 
uh, approximates the return on investment from rooftop solar, um, except the, the panels aren't on your roof. And then we also have a similar community solar product uh, to uh, Power Market and other um, companies that are offering subscription community solar, where you simply sign up uh, for a discount on your utility bill um, while helping to promote uh, the acceleration of clean energy in Maine. And um, as I wrap up my little intro here, I would just say to the listeners out there that the biggest challenge right now for Maine and for the renewable energy industry in general is the fact that we don't have enough workers to install of the clean energy, all of the clean energy systems that people so badly want at this very moment. Um, so in, in a sense, we're a little bit of a, a victims of our own success. We, we have a phenomenal pro-solar policy here in Maine and in much of Northern New England, which is driving lots of consumer demand, um, but we don't have enough licensed apprenticed, uh, apprentice, journeymen and master electricians to do all of the work that's, that stands before us. And so I just wanted to alert um, the audience that if people are looking for really good careers, the renewable energy industry has a tremendous uh, breadth of, of roles that we're looking to fill all the way from office to install to um, the licensed electrical work. Well, Phil, uh, I do appreciate uh, your comment uh, about jobs. I mean, that is uh, uh, not something that I necessarily thought we were going to get into here, but I think that's a perfect opportunity to say uh, people can participate in the clean energy transition um, doing the type of things that we talk about here on this program, uh, largely electrification uh, of your home and eventually of your car. I mean, the phrase out there is beneficial electrification. It's something that I've been talking about uh, literally since I submitted a proposal uh, that did involve revision energy in 2012. Um, and I've been out on the lecture circuit talking about uh, and uh, talking about the fact that we need to transition to uh, an electric economy. Again, beneficial electrician uh, electrification is the term that is out there now, and I'm thrilled that it is. But people can participate in, the, in this transition um, on their own homes, in their own ways, in ways that we talk about on this program. And as you just said, they can also participate in it as a career. Uh, and it's desperately needed. I mean, the governor in her state of the state just uh, mentioned the other day that we have 15,000 people working in, in the sector uh, now, and uh, the goal is is 30,000 by, I forget what year. Uh, but there are jobs out there for people to participate. So thank you for that. And again, you mentioned social injustice. Uh, you know, I teach environmental science. Uh, mostly at Thomas College, but uh, I work in uh, environmental uh, justice issues. I work in, uh, in environmental justice issues in my courses um, on the environment because it's just so important for people to understand uh, the issues that we are facing here in society. So thank you for mentioning that. So uh, you, one thing that I wanted to do here was to set the stage within which community solar fits. Uh, and you started to do that by, uh, by mentioning rooftop solar uh, and, uh, and perhaps the, I mean, we have talked many times about rooftop solar here, and I can't imagine that there's too many people that don't understand what that's about. So maybe the place to start is, is following up on what you just said, that uh, we can have, that you, we can do solar in a direct purchase model, which can include rooftop solar, or could include, um, the phrasing here is so complicated relative to community solar, uh, a direct purchase community solar where you buy into 
uh, a farm that is not on your property because uh, you've got too much shade or your house is, your house is oriented incorrectly. Or you can do a subscription model. Uh, and so I'm going to use the phrase direct purchase and subscription model as we talk about this sort of thing. Um, so let's make the pivot to to subscription model, Kay, and tell me a little bit about what that means in the big picture before we start to get into some details. I like to use a housing analogy when I describe the big picture of different ways that people can go solar when I give talks um, to public libraries and such about how this fits in to the big picture. Of course, when you say solar, most people think immediately about rooftop ownership, you know, where you own the solar panels on your own roof. It's kind of like owning your own home. And this other ownership model of community solar that's been allowed now with the net energy billing laws um, being expanded a couple of years ago is comparable to what uh, I call it a comparable um, comparison to uh, buying a condo where you're buying a portion of a solar field and you own it, you have the rights and responsibilities of ownership, you get the tax credit like a, an owner of a, a solar array on the roof and you save money on your electricity costs. And there's a third model now, which is the subscription model in which it's more like renting a condo than buying it. So you don't pay upfront for the construction and installation of the equipment. You just sort of move in and begin using the facility, the power that comes from the facility. You get discounts applied to your electricity bills for the solar credits that are applied to reduce your light bills from CMP or whoever your utility is. And uh, you don't have all the rights and responsibilities of ownership long-term. Uh, Phil will probably talk about the benefit of um, sort of hedging against uh, future rate increases uh, that comes along when you're an owner of a, a share in a solar farm. But you don't have to make any upfront uh, commitment uh, as far as an investment goes, and you also can extricate yourself from the project with 60 days notice or 90 days, whatever your um, solar developer requires. So that if you move or do something different, or suddenly now you're ready for your own rooftop solar array, hopefully uh, you can pull out of the rental agreement, the subscription agreement, and move on to whatever's next for you. All right. So, so I mean, the first option is the purchase option where uh, in, in a community solar farm where you buy in and get a share. And if you've got 10 percent of the array, you get credits for 10 percent of the electricity. Uh, and then the second model, which is where we are going today, uh, because it's new ish, shall we say, it doesn't it came about uh, as a result of the 2019 legislation. And we can talk about that in a second it is investor owned uh, solar um, so that the investor has put up the money. Uh, you as a user don't have to put up the money, uh, uh, but and you can sign up and and get a credit uh, for uh, the amount of power that is being generated there. And so, one, uh, I'm not sure which one of you to ask this question to, but one of the possibilities is that you can actually get, uh, we shall we say, all of your of your electricity provided by this uh, by this your portion of the um, through net metering. Um, do all uh, community solars try to do that, or do some? Can you opt to only get half of your power? How, do, how does the, how does that work? And how does and how does the how does the array manager 
managed to do that as well. Phil, you want to go for that? One? Yeah, I, I can take that, Steve and Kay. That 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 was a wonderful analogy. You know, talking about uh, whether you're kind of renting a condo or buying a condo in the development. That was perfect. So, if Steve, to your question, if you're thinking about like if, if a consumer wants to offset 100% of their electricity with solar, um, if you cook, you know, buy the the condo in the development. Um, then you would you would buy the appropriate size you know solar share to meet a hundred percent of your annual load, and you do that by you know carefully reviewing a year's worth of electricity bills, and then the math is very simple to match that up with the output of a certain percentage of a of a community solar farm array, um, and then with the subscription side, you know regardless of what your electric consumption is. Um, you're you're basically buying roughly a 10% discount off of what you currently pay to the utility. So kind of a rather um, you know dissimilar approach of the you know renting the condo as opposed to buying the condo. Um, I did want to quickly interject, Steve, that you know it is the middle of February. We're in the dead of a Maine winter, and it's not always top of mind for Mainers to, to know that we actually have a surprisingly potent solar resource in Maine. And that's because our latitude is identical to sunny places like Monaco on the French Riviera. If you draw a line from Maine across the Atlantic, you know, we're on par with famously sunny regions like the south of France and the north of Spain. And over there, they have a year-round kind of balmy climate because they don't have the jet stream pulling Arctic air down through their region in the winter like we do. But the bottom line is we have a really sunny um, latitude here in Maine. Um, our solar resource is 30% greater than Germany, one of the world leaders in solar adoption. Um, and it often surprises people to learn that a solar array in Maine will output this, about the same amount of electricity per year as a solar array in Houston, Texas. And that's because solar panels are much more efficient at lower temperatures. So when we have bright, sunny, cold days in Northern New England, our solar arrays are cranking out clean renewable solar electricity at maximum yield relative to a hot and humid place like say Houston. Um, and on average, most of Maine is just about 10% less sunshine per year than Florida. So it's surprisingly good. And now with these new community solar options, it enables 100% of Mainers to start considering how to offset, you know, fossil fuel costs and consumption and carbon pollution with clean renewable solar power um, at a lower cost. And, and that's a great thing. Last thing I would just say is most Mainers are surprised to learn that we have the highest per capita part carbon pollution in New England. And that's because we have about 400,000 homes that are heated with oil. And it's because we burn a lot of gasoline and diesel in our transportation sector. And so we've got a lot of cleanup work here to do in Maine. And community solar is yet another powerful tool to address that pretty um, harsh environmental problem for our state. Well, exactly right. And, uh, and back to uh, the article that's on the WERU Facebook page. Uh, you know, I'm, I've reduced my energy consumption. I've gone to 100% electrical, uh, and I have signed up for solar, for community solar, in, in fact, myself. And so uh, my house is, is since August, has been 100% 
electric, it has been 100% electric for a while, and 100% solar powered. Uh, and so I do, I do feel that I'm, I'm doing my part here. Phil? Yeah, that's that's remarkable, Steve, right? You, you've basically eliminated fossil fuel energy consumption from your lifestyle, and you've saved $2,500 per year in the bargain. So it's a pretty remarkable opportunity for Mainers to both save money and do the best thing for the long-term sustainability of our environment. Uh, and I, I do feel that a lot of people think that they're going to spend $10,000 on their on uh, updating their home and they're going to save a few hundred dollars and it's uh, considerably better than that. So, uh, so Kay, one thing that we should do here is to give the legislature credit for where we're at. Uh, it, can you talk a little bit about two things? You mentioned net metering a few minutes ago, uh, and then there was the 2019 legislation uh, which uh, has directed the PUC to change some of the rules which make it possible for subscription solar. You want to chat about those two things? Sure. I'd also uh, just interject about today's headlines where there's a lot of concern being expressed about the uh, energy costs for lower and middle income Mainers. And uh, the example Phil was just citing, uh, well, the and you, Steve, for the example you're setting for people is showing how people can save money on their electricity costs by going solar or to other renewables, perhaps. And uh, more specifically, though, to answer your question about the Bill 7, LD 1711, I think, that came through in 2019, uh, what it did was to expand the the restriction and really eliminate the restrictions that used to be placed on community solar farms. They used to be limited to a total of 10 meters, which was the, the host meter plus nine off takers, I believe. Phil couldn't set me straight if it was not that, but that That's was correct. That was a severe constraint on the development of community solar farms that we lived under for many years. And when LD 1711 came along, it blew off the lid. It's like throwing off the chains for this industry. And it encouraged a lot of new developments in community solar farms that uh, could be now bigger and have many more subscribers in fact, we've got several farms, each of which are operational now with around a thousand subscribers on them. And so all those people are enjoying the benefits of solar power uh, almost vicariously. They don't feel it and see it at home. The panels are not within inside of their house, but they're getting the solar power applied against their light bills each month in the form of kilowatt hour credits. And so I'm going to circle back to your previous question a little on the, the allocation question, Steve, because uh, each household that is subscribed to a community solar farm is allocated a certain percentage of the output of the solar field. And that, of course, will differ depending on which time of year it is and how high solar production is. But when we set somebody up initially for their subscription, we have to look at their usage history for the past 12 months and get an idea of what they're gonna need going forward, assuming the next 12 months are gonna be about the same as the last 12 months. And we tend to try to allocate people for roughly 90% of their historical usage so that they don't ever get into a situation where they have what they call stranded kilowatt hour credits because under our net energy billing laws, the solar credits that are applied to everybody's electricity bill are good and can be stored up in what they literally call a bank 
for up to 12 months, but after 12 months, they expire. So we don't want anybody to have paid for solar credits, even if it was at a discount, and find that they don't get to use them all before 12 months are up. And so do most or all, uh, and this is a question for either one of you in terms of your understanding of how other companies work, uh, and so I don't know the answer to this question. Do most companies do what you just say, Kay, and try to, to give you uh, the 90% uh, or, or do some of them do 50% because that's all the energy they have? I think Phil should answer that because I don't know what other companies do and you do. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, uh, the subscription model is pretty uniform across all the companies that offer uh, subscription to community solar farms. Um, in the in the other model, uh, the buy direct model of community solar, you can size the system or the, the portion of the array that you purchase to meet whatever you want. You could meet 50% of your annual consumption. You could meet 90%. You could start out with more than 100% because you think you might add an electric car in the next year, or you might add heat pumps. And so for people who are planning, you know, the, the wholesale transition to beneficial electrification, um, you're probably going to need significantly more electricity than what you use today as you electrify your heating fuel with heat pumps and as you electrify your gasoline with an electric car. Um, and, and those electric cars are really important to Maine. More than 50% of our carbon pollution is coming from tailpipe emissions. And so the, the pivot to electric vehicles is a tremendous opportunity for Mainers. Um, it's going to save us a lot of money in terms of gasoline. Um, it's going to reduce a lot of service that we have to pay for on, on internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, and it's going to uh, require a bunch more clean energy production so that we can fill the electric vehicle battery with clean renewable solar power or wind power rather than burning fossil fuel to charge the battery. Right, perfect. And, and we did cover electric vehicles on the, in the December show here on Power for the People, which is available at, at archive, archives.waru.org. Uh, and I so thoroughly agree. And I haven't made the plunge to, to electric vehicle myself, uh, although I had a plug-in Prius that now belongs to my daughter. Uh, and uh, I have to say, in addition to the environmental and energy and climate uh, advantages, um, having it be quiet and stop it, uh, stop running it at the stop signs is, is worth its weight in gold as well. So just a reminder here, uh, this is Power for the People on WERU uh, 89.9 uh, FM in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. And my guests today are Kay Mann of Parwa Market and Phil Coop of Revision Energy. And we're talking about community solar. Uh, and uh, the, the fact that there are a couple of models of community solar out there, but the real emphasis here is the community solar that uh, most anybody can use, can, can buy in, not buy into, can get involved with in, on the subscription side uh, to offset their energy use uh, at home with solar. And let's just be very clear here to talk about, Kay, maybe talk about um, what, what homeowners would be interested in signing up for community solar, and perhaps more importantly, what renters would want to sign up with. Just be very clear about that. Okay. Um, yeah. Everybody who either owns a home and maybe lives in the shade, can't put solar on their roof, <laughs> or people, people who rent, and if they do pay their own electricity bill, they can do this. So 
I like to introduce myself by saying I fulfill the solar dreams of people who live in the shade or who rent apartments and otherwise don't control their roof. And so now everybody in Maine has the, the potential to go solar in this vicarious sort of way that wasn't available to us just uh, two, two or three years ago. The only exceptions that I'm finding are people for whom the landlord pays the bill for electricity and includes it in their rent. Then they don't have that opportunity to make the choice to subscribe to a community solar power um, field. So. And uh, and the other thing to, for anybody to keep in mind is uh, because I mean one of the the uh, impediments we always hear about rooftop solar is geez what if we move uh, and I hope we're getting to the point where they're going to get your money back in the sale because people recognize that a home with with rooftop solar is worth more and you're not going to have as high energy bills but if you're a renter uh, you know you can sign up for a subscription solar and if you move within the same utility district region this is and this is important you can you can just transfer to that new uh, that new location. Uh, if you move, uh, so I'm interested in any, either of your perspective, if you move from central main power to Versant, uh, how is it, do you lose it? Um, you know, do you have to unsubscribe and start over? What are the possibilities there? Bill, you want to take that one? Yes, yeah, Steve. So with the subscription solar, you do have to remain within the same utility service area. If you move and you want to take that uh, subscription subscription account with you to your new home. If you move to a different utility territory, like from CMP to Versant, then you have to you have to cancel your subscription and then sign up again once you get your new service. Um, you know, started your new utility service in that new area. And you and did. Steve, I I just wanted to echo something that. Kay brought up really nicely, which is, you know, community solar really democratizes solar energy for society. Um, with rooftop solar, there's kind of this, uh, this saying in the industry, which is if you can afford the expensive breakfast of rooftop solar, then you get a free lunch and dinner. And what we're talking about there is that, you know, there is an investment to put solar panels on your own roof. Um, and some people finance that as if, they, you know, just like they would finance a car. Um, but with community solar, there is no barrier to entry whatsoever on the subscription side. There's zero cost to sign up and zero cost to get out of that arrangement. So um, it really makes it much more accessible to low to moderate income communities. And that's a, a huge benefit to Revision's kind of JEDI I, initiative. We JEDI stands for Justice equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so we're trying to, to spread that throughout the, the solar industry to the best of our ability. And community solar gives us this wonderful tool where we can, um, we can offer you know, utility savings to any home, any renter in the state of Maine who happens to have their own electric bill. And that's a, that's a game changer for the industry. Right. right. I also just think it's it's quickly worth noting that you know Maine is the most heavily forested state in the United States. You know, roughly ninety percent of our land mass is covered by these beautiful trees that give us a lot of clean oxygen, and so that means that a lot of folks don't have a sunny patch of ground or or a sunny roof. And like Kay said, uh, community solar is the antidote to having too much shade on your property, and so for the 
previous, say, 15 years that Revision Energy has been in business, it was pretty much all exclusively rooftop solar or panels on somebody's sunny patch of ground. Um, now, with the new laws that came into play in 2019, we can offer solar to everybody, regardless of the how much shade happens to fall on their, their patch of Maine. Right, exactly, and, and, and so many good points there. One question that, that I have, and I have no idea about this one, uh, and I think Revision is the uh, the larger player in the state, That uh, so you would have an answer for this. You guys were doing the purchase model of, of community solar back years ago, 10, 15 years ago, uh, and now you're doing subscription. Uh, how many purchase models uh, community solar are there still out there, and are you creating any new ones? Yeah, so so back under the old rules prior to 2019's uh, policy change, we built about 10 community solar farms that were extremely difficult and hard to make them cost effective under the old rules where Kay had alluded to, to an old um, regulation where you could only have nine members per farm, which uh, severely limited the size of the community so solar farm. So you, you could not create economies of scale. So we actually gave up in about 2017, we had to throw in the towel and say, this is just not cost effective. But we did manage to build about 10 of them, uh, serving close to 100 uh, clients, uh, including myself <laughs> as one of those uh, first early adopters about a decade ago. Um, now, with the new policy, we continue to offer direct purchase community solar, where you, you, know, you actually buy a portion of the array, like buying the condo, as well as subscription community solar. So we offer both flavors. I think we might be the only company in the state that offers both direct purchase community solar as well as the subscription model. Um, and we continue to do a lot of rooftop solar because there is a key distinction here for people to understand who are listening, which is um, community solar does not really help you in the event of a power outage. So that, that's a pretty substantial difference. Whereas with rooftop solar, you can have solar panels on your roof and then a battery uh, storage system in your basement. And during a, a, a multi-day power outage, the solar panels on the roof can continue to charge the battery during the day and give you, um, you know, resilience and clean power 24-7 for, you know, almost an unlimited amount of time as long as you get enough sunshine in between the dark hours of the day. Whereas, because community solar farm shares, whether it's subscription or direct person purchase, because the, the community solar farm is remote from your home, you cannot fall back on community solar in the event of an outage. But you can still have a battery that can take you for a few days, even if you don't have panels on your roof. So just, you know, something to think about if if the listener really wants to make their home resilient as if you had like a, a standby generator then you want to have some panels on your property. Right. And I, I certainly, uh, yeah, I echo those comments. And, and on this program, I've, uh, I've been a, a big proponent of, of rooftop solar uh, for uh, the real reason that, that you've already got the, the, uh, the opportunity to put something on a, an existing structure without using any more land. And so you can see where I'm kind of, I, I can be going here in a moment. Um, but to me, rooftop solar uh, I mean, rooftops are already impervious services and they're already doing their environmental damage. And especially if you've got black shingles on your roof, you're, uh, you're doing more uh, climate warming than you need to do. Uh, 
Uh, and so to me, rooftop solar makes an awful lot of sense. And I will just mention here, this is a, the, the project that I mentioned earlier that was funded by the Maine Technology Institute uh, in concert with Revision. Our conclusion was that the existing rooftops in Maine, we used LIDAR to see which rooftops uh, in various regions were most uh, were, were suitable for solar power. And the conclusion was that if we scaled it up to the whole state, and if everybody put uh, solar power on every rooftop that was suitable, using numbers from 2020 solar panel output, we could generate 56% of the electricity needed by the grid on all of those roofs. If you scale that up now to, I mean, in, in 2020, the, the uh, existing solar panel was probably 220 watts, something like that. You scale it up to today's watts, uh, wattage on panels, it's on the order of 89% of our grid could be handled by rooftop solar alone. Uh, and that's something that we overlook a lot. And, and uh, again, it comes back to your uh, issue, Phil, that uh, the community solar does lots of things for electrification, uh, but there are a few uh, a few issues there. And I do want to come back to that here in just a second. But let me just ask this, Phil, one more thing's for you. Um, how, how many subscription solar uh, farms are you doing versus the purchase model? Mostly subscription, I presume? Yeah, yep. So we have four subscription solar farms either completed or in development and another handful of the direct purchase variety um, either built or in development um, that we, we have a lot of balls in the air along with all the other solar developers in the state who are um, capitalizing on the new policy so you are doing the purchase one still that's interesting to know yes absolutely so on the on the issue of moving within the same utility, uh, uh, certainly the, the contract that you sign with the community solar farm matters. Uh, and Kay, uh, do you have any experience with, uh, with uh, a, a solar farm subscription provider that has long contracts that would pose a problem if you moved to a different uh, utility region and had to get out? How often does that come up? Again, this is coming back to what I saw Actually, I've got right here in front of me the uh, community solar from uh, the Office of Public Advocate, and it says that some, uh, some, sometimes you have contracts that are up to 20 years, which sounds like a major problem, and the people might want to avoid that. Okay, there's a lot of questions in that one question, so I'm going to try and take them one at a time. First of all, I have direct experience of moving within CMP's territory myself as a subscriber. I moved last September from Brunswick to Hallowell, and I took my community solar subscription with me. It took a little bit of nudging to my colleagues in Power Market to tell them, hey, I have a new account at a new place, and please switch me, but they did. The only trouble I ran into with doing that is that I had some banked solar credits on my account in Brunswick. And when I asked CMP to please move those and transfer those banked solar credits to my new house in Hallowell, they said, oh, sorry, the solar credits remain with the premises. And so they were, they, my solar credits stayed behind in Brunswick. And I'm not sure whether the successors in our domicile there received the benefit of those credits or not. I, I will always wonder about that. But uh, as far as people changing utility service areas, if you move from, let's say, Belfast to Bangor, you're changing from CMP to Versant. And I don't know of anybody in our experience yet 
who has made such a move and had to cancel their subscription uh, under CMP's um, service territory and and reignite it, you know, restart up their subscription in uh, in Versant's uh, part of Maine. And if that did happen, though, at least in a hypothetical example, the person moving to Bangor would have to wait longer for their solar credits to begin flowing and, and to their credit on their bills, because our first project in the Versant part of Maine has been delayed and pushed back to the fourth quarter of this year. So while we have four projects up and running and issuing solar credits in CMP's part of Maine, um, if you have to leave your solar farm and, and uh, move to Bangor, you're going to have to wait longer to, for your project to start up. And then you had another part of the question, which was about, remind me, after the moving. Uh, well, I guess one thing, I don't remember what question that might have been. Contract terms, uh, the length of the contract. There we go. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm pretty sure that with most of the subscription developers of community solar fields, that their standard default contract term, it's a maximum of 20 years. And that's like a kind of a financial decision that has to do with the amount of time that the developers of the um, projects have taken out on their loan, that they've taken out a loan to, you know, gone out on a limb to build these solar fields. And their um, their loan term is, in many cases, 20 years. And I think the contracts are written that, you know, you can be a subscriber to this project up to 20 years for the life of the project that um, that is designated at its outset. However, there's a little clause that said maybe it can be extended a little longer because solar panels certainly will produce power for longer than 20 years these days. I think they're built to last. Phil can tell us what the, the um, end stage life expectancy of solar panels is these days. But with the 60-day clause uh, uh, to cancel your solar subscription, it doesn't matter um, if you're entering a a 20-year contract, it's one that has a 60-day or sometimes a 90-day um, cancellation clause. So, so there's a way out for somebody if they move like that. And one of the issues is, uh, can they, you know, if you move to a different utility district, can you even find a community solar that has capacity that willing to, to uh, enroll you? Uh, and so that's an interesting risk. Uh, and I, I guess that kind of, that question, Phil, brings to mind what, uh, I mean, we're seeing a little pushback here and there on community solar because people are concerned about land use. Uh, what's your perspective on the the two to five year outlook for community solar in Maine? That's a great question, Steve. So as local Mainers, all of us at Revision Energy are absolutely focused on making the best and highest use of the, you know, the various types of land in the state. And so the first thing we want to do is cover up kind of super fun sites and capped landfills with solar power, you know, use up the land that's worthless otherwise. That's our first choice. Um, and Revision Energy partnered with Maine Audubon back in 2019 to develop a, um, a, a rigorous set of solar siting guidelines for the state um, as a way to make sure that we don't start, you know, covering up prime agricultural land with solar panels. 
um, and also to um, to try to limit how many trees we cut to install solar panels. Um, we'd like to you know make use of the dead space before we start thinking about some of Maine's prime um, you know, prime habitat and and actual land mass. Uh, another great opportunity that I think is, you know, underexploited right now are asphalt parking lots. You know, those are terrible uh, pieces of the landscape in that you've got this black surface that absorbs a, a tremendous amount of heat and then regurgitates it back into the atmosphere. And so if we can cover up asphalt parking lots with solar canopies, um, that's another great way to avoid using, you know, some of Maine's prime landscape. So we're, we're, we're very sensitive about where we develop these projects to make sure that um, we're doing what's best for all Mainers and not just to make a quick buck on community solar. Um, Kay had just quickly had brought up the, the longevity of solar panels. And I think it's important for listeners to know that modern solar panels come with a 25 year warranty. And then the expected useful lifespan is more like 40 years or more. Um, and that's because the technology is extremely rugged and it's pretty basic as well. You know, you've got aluminum, glass and silicon as the primary, you know, functional components and no moving parts in a solar pan panel. So it's a, a very long lived technology that delivers a tremendous return on investment. And also because its main components are non-toxic. Um, solar panels really lend themselves to recycling and being kind of remade, reincarnated into new solar panels at the end of their uh, initial life. Um, and there's already a, a really healthy photovoltaic panel recycling ecosystem that's sprouted up across America and the rest of the globe to start you know, digesting all the solar panels that are reaching end of life today and converting them back into fresh new solar panels that can continue for the next four or five decades. Um, and so when you compare like the technology that's used in uh, the solar industry, it's basically non-toxic, highly recyclable and non-polluting. That's a, a, you know, a vast improvement over the whole fossil fuel supply chain um, where you have you know, extraction, drilling, um, transportation, refining, distribution, and combustion. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a drastic difference. And that's what, part of why a solar um, array in Maine delivers a really strong return on investment because you're taking that free energy from the sun and converting it into electricity for yourself, as opposed to doing all of the steps of the fossil fuel supply chain to then burn something to create electricity. And so because it's much more efficient, you get an incredibly strong return on that solar investment. Well, fantastic summary there. I do want to say, and this is this has come up in, uh, in other programs, people talk about uh, environmental impact of insulation or, or solar. Um, basically, let's just keep in mind that everything that humans do has an impact. And do you want to have a, a fossil fuel impact or do you want to have, uh, you know, some solar panels on the landscape uh, or some wind towers up there? All of those things do have an impact. And which one would you rather have? It's not, I don't want to have, you know, we, we can't do any of these. You got to choose one. Uh, and, and I think your comments there are very well taken. Um, let's see. So, uh, Kay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Solar farms uh, since 2019, community solar farms have been uh, have been built, and subscribers have signed up. 
uh, when uh, I'm going to use central main power rates for argument, but it's a typical number where the electric rate was 15 cents uh, ish. Uh, and, and these solar farms were making a profit by selling you uh, electricity and giving you a 10 or 15% credit. Today, the electric prices are suddenly 20 or 21 cents, but we're still getting a 10 or 15% uh, discount. And yet the solar farm was already priced in at the other one and the solar farm costs haven't gone up. So it seems to me there's, pardon me for using the phrase here, but it seems like there's windfall profits being made by the solar community farm people now. Uh, and Kay, I, I pointed at you, but, but Phil, you may want to respond to that same question. Um, is that fair? What, where, do, where do we go with that? Good question. And we're getting out a lot this month because the, these higher bills are just starting to land in everybody's mailbox in the last couple of weeks for, um, for its 21.2 cents combined delivery and supply rate for um, folks who have standard offer supply, residential and small commercial scale. And yes, um, the solar companies who were in 2021 able to bill people at 15.8 cents a kilowatt hour, I guess, for their solar credits are now in turn billing at the higher rate and bringing in more money. And that's, I guess, the way I'm not behind all the workings of PUC's regulations on net energy billing and everything, but I believe that's the way the net energy billing laws are just set up so that the solar subscription companies are billing at whatever is the going rate for standard offer supply plus delivery as published by the Maine Public Utilities Commission. So for the remainder of 2022, that will be the rate that they're billing at. And the only um, comfort is that there is some chance, there is a chance that rates will also go down in the future and our rates will go down commensurately. So they just follow whatever is the standard published rate for delivery plus supply. And unfortunately that supply rate took a humongous jump um, in January. I don't know uh, I, all the reasons that were cited by the Public Utilities Commission had to do with the price of natural gas. The electricity prices are pegged to the price of natural gas. We'd all love to see a day where that were not the case. And natural gas is not the predominant uh, feedstock for generating conventional, conventional electricity. But yes, at this time, um, that's what's happening. Part of the answer to uh, that uh, issue is in the previous program I had on in uh, the guest in, uh, in January was talking about that, frankly, ISO New England and its contracts uh, wind up pricing everything based on natural gas, uh, which probably creates an artificially high price and inhibits our ability to make transitions to renewable power. But Phil, let me just come back and, and give you an opportunity to respond to my uh, perhaps provocative comment that there's windfall profits going on out there in the solar farm uh, community solar uh, uh, arena. Yes, Steve, let me address that by starting at the 50,000 foot level. So I think it's really important for every Mainer to be aware that we don't have a drop of fossil fuels under our, our soil here in Maine. And so that means we are forever kind of beholden to fossil fuel companies from away um, if we don't make choices about energy independence. And right now, 
it costs Mainers $6 billion a year to import fossil fuels from away. So we're, we're exporting $6 billion out of the local economy to bring in uh, oil, gas, coal, and propane. Okay. Every time we build a clean energy system here in the state of Maine, we keep those energy dollars right here at home in the local economy, you know, kind of swirling around in the local economy, um, creating good paying jobs and kind of um, helping to plug that massive fiscal, that massive hole in Maine's fiscal boat, right? And so when it comes to community solar, um, unfortunately, uh, consumers are still exposed to fossil fuel rate increases because those community solar uh, uh, farms are still pegged to whatever the utility price is per kilowatt hour. And so if, if utility power prices go up, um, your costs are still going to go up with subscription community solar. You're going to get a 10% discount um, relative to if you, you know, just simply bought straight from the utility, um, but your rates are going to go up. Um, the antidote that, in, in our opinion, is to go with either rooftop solar, if you can have it on your property or on your ground, or go with direct purchase community solar. Um, those are the two options to insulate yourself against fossil fuel price fluctuations. Um, that's that would be my con comment. Right, and and you know, regardless, I mean, again, I asked the uh, the question provocatively, but regardless, if you sign up for consumer solar solar, you still get a ten or fifteen percent discount depending on the contract with the company relative to. Uh, paying the uh, the uh, much higher rates that uh, are currently uh, out there. And I will uh, remind everybody uh, that you'd still do pay the minimum charge, regardless of whether you, if you're connected to the grid, regardless of whether you've got solar on your roof or you've got um, subscription, you're still paying the minimum charge. Uh, again, I'm I'm 100% powered right now by, by community solar, but I'm still paying CMP $14.20 a month. So don't be misled by... Uh, by that, uh, you're still responsible for that charge. Um, so, uh, Kay, I know this is something that is uh, that it was in your previous job uh, to find uh, alternative energy suppliers for people that wanted to sign up for something other than the standard offer. And frankly, I haven't heard much about that lately. But who is still doing that, and what kind of rates are they charging? Oh, really good question. I don't have the snapshot in my head right now, but I like to refer people to a page that the main office of the sorry, <laughs> my timer went off. Uh, the main office of public advocate publishes a page where people can compare the rates of different uh, competitive electricity suppliers against the standard offer. And I wasn't actually in that uh, field. I was in the voluntary renewable energy market where Maine Green Power was offering a, a flat rate of $8.95 a month for a block of renewable energy generated in Maine um, that could offset their um, uh, consumers' um, carbon footprint. But um, this, uh, this page where people can uh, compare the competitive electricity suppliers against uh, standard offer is a great resource and it's updated fairly frequently. There are, there, I believe, just one main base company and a number of out-of-state suppliers who are offering renewable electricity as part of their um, product offering, if you will. Um, and many of their rates are much higher, but um, it's a good page to keep an eye on and 
make your best deal, as we say. And uh, so, I mean, we're down to, uh, to less than a minute here, but let me just clarify, uh, because I don't know the answer to this question. If you sign up for something other than the standard offer, uh, can you still sign up for a community solar farm and get the discount off of that other offer, whatever that offer may be? You can, as long as the competitive electricity supplier agrees to play this game with us. And uh, so there, there's a clause in the contract that says something to that effect. And so far in our experience that um, they have all been willing to issue the solar credits along with standard offers. So, yes. Okay. Great. Thanks so much for that. All right. Well, uh, we are out of time, uh, but just a reminder, we're uh, you're listening to Power for the People here on WERU. Uh, and the guests have been Kay Mann of Power Market and Phil Coop of Revision Energy. Uh, we've had a great conversation here uh, and lots of good information. I wish we uh, were on a program where we could take listener callers, but that hasn't happened. But anybody can reach out to me uh, by accessing my contact information on Facebook uh, on WERU if you like. And uh, I got a lot of feedback on that article that I mentioned previously. Uh, and have been uh, trying to deal with those uh, issues uh, and responding to folks on email. But again, thanks so much for everybody. Uh, we are out of time um, and uh, we will uh, see or not see our listeners back here next month. This uh, program airs the fourth Friday, uh, for, sorry, the fourth Wednesday of the month. Thanks so much, both of you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve.